Well, good morning. Welcome to our morning worship service here at Long Hill Baptist Church. I want to thank you for joining us online today. As you know, we're meeting uh, online only today, uh, really out of an abundance of caution. So I thank you for working with us today and uh, joining together with us online. We anticipate uh, being able to come together again, to assemble together again in person on Wednesday night. So uh, we look forward to that. Meanwhile, take your Bible, please, and turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We return this morning to uh, this passage in 1 Timothy pastor three, uh, chapter 3. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> that deals with the qualifications of pastors. Now, this is uh, the fourth uh, in a series of messages from this passage, and so uh, I think at this point we're clear on the rationale that we see for uh, studying this passage and for taking our time here, but uh, perhaps you're joining for the first time this morning, or perhaps uh, you would agree this morning that review uh, is a good thing. So uh, very quickly, I want to just share again that we, we see here Paul is writing to young Pastor Timothy, who evidently at this time is serving as a pastor at the Ephesian church. And uh, the Lord evidently desires that Paul write to Timothy and share uh, qualifications of pastors, not that uh, Timothy isn't qualified or that uh, he shouldn't be serving as a pastor, but that he um, first he's to be reminded of the things, the traits, the characteristics that should characterize his life as a pastor. And so this is a good, godly reminder for Timothy. Now we've taken care also to understand that Timothy, as pastor and teacher in the church, is charged with teaching these things uh, to the church as they would call additional pastors or perhaps Timothy's replacement in the future, it would be important for them to understand what God desires uh, in a pastor. We, of course, understand that in our own hearts, in our own minds, we, we conjure up an image of what uh, would be desirable from our perspective, but what matters most is what God desires, what's important from his perspective. And so Timothy would teach this to his church at Ephesus. And of course, the Lord desires that your pastor teach these things to you as well. Now, lastly, and, and certainly not unimportantly, let's please remember that uh, these are the traits, the characteristics, the things that should characterize uh, the lives of anyone in the church, uh, specifically the men who would say, you know what, I don't believe God has called me to be a pastor today, but perhaps, perhaps he will in the future. Not that I necessarily desire that today, but perhaps God would desire to call me at some point in the future. And so I want to understand these things and ask God uh, to help me to live according to these things so that he could call me in the future. And listen, if that's not you this morning, if, if, you, if you're not quite ready to say, Lord, uh, help me to take up these things for that reason, maybe again we would, we would just see that, that these are godly, Christ-like things that uh, if you're a man, all of these things should be evident in your life. And uh, if you're a, a lady, many of these things are applicable to you as well. So 
uh, whether or not we're hoping to serve as a pastor one day, uh, there'll be great value in understanding this passage this morning. I want to read the passage again. And um, we're here in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. God's words. Here the Bible says, the Lord says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, that's pastor, uh, one who would exercise a, uh, authority from God in the office of pastor, he desireth a good work, a work indeed, but a good work. A bishop then must be uh, blameless. He must be the husband of one wife, uh, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality and apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house. And uh, we'll pick up the, the passage this morning in this area, end of verse 3, beginning in verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Uh, and then this, this parenthesis here in verse 5. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, shall, how, how shall he take care of the church of God? That just makes sense. Uh, verse 6, he's not a novice, uh, he's not a new convert, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. We'll spend some time on, on that idea today. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Uh, without what? Well, without salvation, I think, is the idea here. Uh, it, it really has the idea of being outside of something, and it would be those outside of the church uh, most likely, I, I, and I believe the Lord's intention here is it's a reference to those who are not yet saved uh, and therefore still outside of the church. Moreover, he must, verse 7, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach uh, and the snare of the devil. There's a couple of warnings here about the devil's attack upon the man and uh, traits in his life that will serve him well as he seeks to have victory in that attack. Verse 8, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. This is deacons now. Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And let these also be proved, the deacons, uh, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Uh, here's the wives of the deacons, beginning in verse 13. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. And of course, you see here the overlap. Many of the uh, qualifications of pastors are also qualifications of deacons and, uh, and some of their wives. Uh, verse 13, for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, Paul writes, These things write I unto thee, uh, Timothy, hoping to come unto thee shortly. He desired to be with Timothy uh, to encourage him in person. Uh, he says, But, in verse 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, churches are called by God the pillar and ground of truth. Uh, we have the, we've been uniquely given the responsibility to teach God's words. 
Verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And of course, we brought this verse in uh, this morning in the uh, nine o'clock Sunday school hour. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And of course, that verse deals with great truth regarding our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray, and we'll jump into uh, our text today. Father, thank you this morning for these thy words. Thank you, Lord, that they are quick, they're alive, and that they are powerful. Uh, Lord, thank you that they, uh, they pierce right into our hearts and uh, show us what is true and what is not true. And Lord, they show us where we stand before you. Father, we thank you this morning that you have laid out, you have defined for us what uh, a man must bring uh, to the pastorate. Uh, Lord, the things that a church should look for in evaluating candidates uh, to fill the pulpit and to serve as a pastor, a shepherd, the under-shepherd of a church. Lord, I thank you again this morning that you've not left us wondering or guessing uh, what would make a good pastor. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning for myself that you would help me to uh, align my life with these thy words. Lord, of course, I will continue to need your help to do that. I thank you for the, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the, uh, the filling of the Spirit when I yield to, to you, when anyone in our church yields. Lord, we, we thank you this morning for power from you to live according to your words. Father, I'm reminded this morning that we simply cannot live according to your word without grace, strength, power from you to do so. Lord, give us a heart to bow ourselves before you, to yield to you this morning that we might know the filling, the, the empowering of the Spirit of God this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray for that as I uh, teach and preach your words now. Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening today. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be bowed before you, that our hearts would desire these uh, words of truth from you, Lord, uh, the God of truth, the truth. Help us now, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What an important passage. What an important passage. Uh, let's just uh, quickly go through the list here of things that we've seen. What have we seen? What are God's requirements? Well, uh, we've got a pretty lengthy list now, but hopefully you've got these things down in your notes. If you don't, I want to encourage you to kind of study through the passage on your own, get these points down, but uh, you, can, you can start today if you haven't been taking notes, but boy, I want to encourage you uh, to do that. Number one, we've seen the pastor must be a man. There's no, there's no question about that. I was uh, looking at a church online this week. They had a lot of things right, but boy, they had some things wrong. They had a, uh, a woman in the role of pastor. Uh, I have no doubt that she has good intentions and that she uh, desires to be a godly woman, but she's in a role that God has not permitted her to be in biblically. And of course, we say that in love. We, we want to see all men and all women in the place of service that God desires them to be in. 
uh, clearly we've seen in this passage and in others that God desires the pastor to be a man. Listen, that's God's choice. Uh, he, that's his desire. Uh, number two, we've seen that a pastor should have a desire uh, to serve, to serve as the shepherd of God's people. Uh, and, and guys, don't worry again, I'll remind you, God gives that desire. When he calls a man uh, into the pastorate, he gives that desire. So that's not something uh, that we need to worry about. We've seen number three, a pastor should be blameless. Remember, that word literally means not arrested, the underlying word. He's not a man who's in need of significant or obvious uh, correction. He's a man who is endeavoring with God's help to live according to God's words, and there's no obvious fault in his life. Now, of course, there's fault. Uh, we are all sinners saved by grace, and of course, that would include uh, this pastor. Number four, the pastor should be the husband of one wife. We've seen that. Uh, he most certainly should not be divorced and remarried, uh, and he most certainly uh, should not be divorced. We, we've seen God hates divorce, and of course, it's a sin uh, that, that the Lord forgives, but we believe, uh, as we see here this morning, it's, uh, it's something that would disqualify a man from serving in this particular role. Uh, should he be married? Well, yes, we think that's practically important, uh, and although it's kind of viewing the, the verse through a couple of different lenses. I think it'd be wise to conclude that he should be married and he should not be uh, divorced. He's the husband uh, of one wife, and we do well to understand it both ways uh, this morning. Uh, number five, a pastor should be vigilant. That word's also translated sober. He's watchful. He's standing guard uh, first over himself uh, and then over his flock. And boy, what an important thing that a man learn how to be vigilant uh, and watching over his own life, his own uh, thought life, his own uh, behaviors, his, uh, his own uh, walk with Christ. And if he's not learned to do that well for himself, however, could he do that uh, as, as the, the pastor, the under shepherd watching uh, over the church? Lord, help us all, help us all uh, to be vigilant, to stand guard over uh, our own lives, to be watchful in our own lives. Number six, we've seen the pastor must be sober, temperate, discreet, uh, having his desires and passions well-regulated, in check. There's a self-control in his life. Uh, he's not led about by lusts and, and drawn into lustful things constantly. He's, he's sober, he's, he's self-controlled, and of course, uh, we've said many times, that really is uh, the same as to say he's controlled of the Spirit of God. He's yielded himself not to his lusts, but to his God, and he's found strength to live a decently godly life as a result. Uh, number seven, he's of good behavior. Uh, this is the same phrase that's translated modest with regard to ladies uh, in chapter two. Number eight, he must be given to hospitality, literally fond of guests uh, or strangers. He's willing to invest himself in the lives of, of people. Number nine, he must be apt to teach. He must have a desire and a reasonable ability to teach. He must not be given to wine, number 10. He's not a drinker. Number 11, he's not a striker. Uh, he's a gentle, decent person. He's, uh, he's found gentleness from the Spirit of God in his life. 
Uh, number uh, 12, he's not greedy, a filthy lucre. He's not coming into uh, the pastorate uh, to get money. That's, of course, he needs that. Uh, this pastor uh, requires the support uh, of the church um, in order to be focused on ministry full-time, at least. Uh, we don't come into the ministry to get rich, uh, although it's entirely biblical uh, for the pastor to expect the support of his church, the financial support of his church. Last week, number 13, we saw he's patient. Uh, he, there's a godly long-suffering in his life uh, he's learned to be patient with immature believers and willing to invest in them, uh, to grow them, to mature them. But uh, he recognizes just as it took some time for God to mature him, it will take others uh, some time to grow and mature as well. Uh, and so he's learned to be patient, to be long-suffering, uh, to endure the immaturity of those who are less mature um, as others have endured his immaturity uh, while he was growing in the Lord. And uh, that's where we've come to, up to through our series so far. Uh, let's just go ahead and pick it up now this morning. Uh, in number 14, uh, number 14, uh, in verse 3, toward the end of verse 3 here, well, we see he's not given to wine, he's no striker, he's not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, uh, not covetous. Uh, we see here that he's not a brawler. What's a brawler? Pastor, what's a brawler? Well, it, the, I think you have the idea someone who brawls uh, is a fighter. Uh, the underlying word has the literal idea of uh, a fighter uh, not being a fighter. He's not one who is always uh, looking for a fight. One, one said that, one man said he's, he's one that will not fight, whether it be with, with hand or tongue. Now, you understand there, there are things worth fighting for. Uh, we fight for the truth. We hold fast to the truth of God's words. Uh, that's different. That's not what's being alluded to uh, here. The Lord would never say, don't fight for truth. Don't fight for uh, uh, true gospel. Don't fight for true Christology. Uh, of course, we, we, we fight for those things in a sense, but uh, this, this word has the idea of not being a man who's always looking for a fight. He's not, he's not contentious. Um, and, you know, I don't think I'll say too much about this today uh, because we've, we've covered this idea uh, back in uh, number 11, uh, number 11 in our outline, uh, which deals with the pastor not being a striker. These are similar, uh, similar ideas. Rather than being one who's uh, looking for a fight, looking for an opportunity to strike someone, to brawl with someone, to, uh, to punch someone, uh, there's a gentleness. There's a gentleness. Uh, and boy, that's, that's such an important thing uh, for anyone in the church, whether you're a man or a woman, uh, but certainly for the pastor and certainly for one who would be uh, the pastor. The, the pastor is called to be uh, one who is gentle as opposed to one who is a striker, number 11, or here uh, a fighter, number 14. Now, I believe we see here this morning uh, those two ideas being referenced twice in this passage, and no doubt the Lord intends some distinction between these two words, but uh, the basic idea would be the same. The Lord is reiterating uh, this basic idea twice. He's emphasizing it in this list. A man who is uh, quickly 
uh, stirred up to want to uh, fight with someone, probably more in words than with fists, um, he needs to really get that under control before he would seek the office of pastor. Uh, he's one who would do well, and really any of us would do well to say, Lord, um, help me, help me to not be a striker or a brawler, help me to not be someone who's looking for a fight, um, doctrinally or otherwise, but one who, who would be gentle. And I reminded you, uh, I guess a couple of weeks back, uh, that this gentleness is available to us as a fruit of the Spirit. And you remember that word gentleness in, uh, in the, the list of the fruits of the Spirit has the idea of being useful and really spiritually uh, useful with, with, um, with regard to uh, one who would be willing to gently teach the truth of God's words rather than attacking people for not yet seeing the truth. Uh, can you remember a time when you did not understand, or, or maybe when you, can you remember a time when you misunderstood some Bible truth? Uh, maybe not something that you looked at and said, I'm just not sure what that means, but, but you had a wrong understanding. and Someone came alongside and, and gently said, well, listen, I'm not sure that you're seeing that correctly, quite right. Let's open the Bible. Let's compare scripture with scripture. Let's, let's take some time to let God kind of inform our understanding and let the Holy Spirit work through those words. Uh, I, I hope there's been a time when, when you've been gently uh, aided in your understanding by another brother or sister, whether it was someone in the church or, or a pastor, that'd be a brother, you understand, um, but someone who was willing to come gently uh, and help you gain a better understanding of truth. Um, it's important that pastors not respond to people aggressively uh, or inappropriately when they don't see truth, that there not be a frustration in the pastor's spirit that would cause them to be uh, anything less than gentle and useful in helping people uh, to come to truth. Listen, we understand that uh, it is our nature at times to be uh, somewhat aggressive, to, uh, to be less than gentle. And so the pastor who's called to be a leader in the church needs to be an example of gentleness, uh, of gentleness in helping people to overcome disagreements, misunderstandings, and so forth. So uh, this, is, this is important. The Lord emphasizes this. He, he double emphasizes it in the list. Uh, and I would say again this morning before we move on, this is important for all of us. If you find a, a temptation in your heart uh, to be disagreeable, to be aggressive, to not be gentle, uh, I would say this morning again, just confess that. God, understand that's sin probably comes from, uh, uh, it boils up from a root of pridefulness. It's sort of one of the leaves that would grow on a tree of pridefulness. Uh, Lord, help me to trim that off. Help me to put off uh, this uh, tendency to be disagreeable, to be aggressive, uh, to be less than gentle, and to put on gentleness in its place. I, listen, I promise you this morning, if you'll do that, if you'll confess the sin and ask the Lord to help you put on this gentleness in that place, God will be thrilled, he'll be pleased, uh, and you'll grow, you'll grow in your walk uh, with the Lord. Uh, the 15th thing that we see, and it's in the same verse, so it's, uh, he's not given to wine, he's no striker, 
Um, he's not greedy of filthy lucre. He's patient, not a brawler. And there you see patience and being not a brawler clearly go hand in hand. And as we've said, uh, he's not covetous. Uh, he's not covetous. And um, we see here in this passage, uh, a lot of these um, qualifications do seem to dovetail together. Um, he's not greedy of filthy lucre and he's not covetous. Uh, because he's not covetous, he'll not be greedy of filthy lucre. So you can see how some of these traits, these characteristics, these attributes of a man who would be qualified, uh, they fit together, they work together, perhaps uh, synergistically, if, if you will. Uh, but we see here he's not covetous. Uh, we've looked at this theme of discontentment and covetousness, how they sort of dovetail together uh, on, on Wednesday nights, uh, the last two Wednesday nights in Judges uh, chapter 17 and chapter 18. Uh, we've seen several examples of individuals and groups who seem to be dissatisfied or discontent with God's provision. We've seen Micah and his mom. We've seen this kind of wandering Levite uh, who all seem to be discontented with, with what God has provided and really discontented with the Lord. And we've seen the consequences of their discontentment. They've coveted something that God did not have for them, that God would not have for them. And, and they've allowed their discontentment to breed covetousness and covetousness to lead them into some sinful thing that God did not desire for them. Uh, this past Wednesday night in chapter 18, we saw the discontented Danites. God gave them a land. Uh, they were not able to possess it completely uh, in no doubt, no doubt, in large part, perhaps not exclusively, but in large part because of their own actions or perhaps inactions, uh, they're discontented with their inability or their failure to take possession of what God gave them. And so they begin to covet some other land, some um, land that looked like it would be easier to take. And so they go and they brutally conquer the people there and they burn the city uh, to the ground and they establish a new city uh, and give it their name, Dan, uh, and they establish a cult there, a false worship of the one true God combined with worship of false gods, this sort of syncretic uh, cult that uh, we saw grow up in Micah's house. Uh, what, a, what a shame! Uh, what a shame that people would be discontented with God's provision. He promises to provide for our basic needs. And, and so to say, no, Lord, this is not good enough. I, I reject this as inadequate for me is really to say, Lord, I, I reject you. Uh, I reject uh, your determination of what is adequate for me. Imagine how that must burden the Lord, how that must grieve the Spirit of God when we uh, are not contented uh, with his perfect provision for us. And someone might say, well, pastor, I'm not sure God's provision is perfect. Look at how much this person has versus what I have. Uh, yes, but if you're protected, uh, you're provided for. If you have enough food to eat, you're provided for. If you have clothes on your back, you're provided for. They may not be the best of everything. I understand that, uh, but you are being provided for as a child of God. And to be discontented 
is really a slap in the face to the Lord. Uh, please remember when the Lord Jesus Christ came uh, to this earth, uh, he did not have a place to lay his head that was his own. Well, you might say everything is his own, but you understand what I mean. He didn't have a palace that he returned to each night. Uh, he didn't have the best things uh, to eat or to wear. He's the son of God. Uh, he came uh, having been provided for, uh, anointed by the spirit of God to serve, to minister, uh, having enough, having enough, he was contented, even though he understood he came to face the terrible, terrible cross. Lord, help us to be contented that we would not covet, that we would not covet. We, I've given you a, a list of, of, of biblical answers to discontentment, to the discontentment that drives covetousness. Uh, Zach on Wednesday night, I, uh, I, I challenged him to give us some of those things from his notes. He sure enough was able to produce notes and praise God. It's, it's, I want to just take a moment and encourage you again, take notes. Uh, take notes. It's very hard to get it all in uh, and to remember it all, particularly as we get a little older, uh, you understand. But uh, notes are so valuable, boy, especially if you'll review them. You know, take some notes this morning. Review them tonight. Review them tomorrow. Review them a couple of times over the next couple of weeks. Have a notebook where you can read through uh, your notes from each message, from each Bible study, and get into the habit of reading through them regularly. I understand you can't read a year's worth of notes every day, but if you'll read through the past several messages regularly, uh, you will begin to retain more. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you uh, to remember. But uh, taking notes is a great aid to memory and reviewing the notes is as well. Uh, we've seen several things regarding uh, discontentment and covetousness and the Lord's way uh, to be satisfied. Uh, we saw, number one, understand that discontentment is dangerous. We saw this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 10. Uh, we saw that we need to determine to be content. We've seen this in Philippians 4 and verse 11. We need to determine to be content. We need to choose that uh, and to choose uh, to, to um, be content with the Lord. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation, your behavior, your manner of living be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's enough for me. How about you? Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be contented with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I encourage you, number four, to understand that covetousness is idolatry. We see that in Colossians 3 and verse 5. Covetousness is idolatry. I've encouraged you, number five, to remember uh, that we're called to separate from covetous people. Uh, just like if you in the past had a problem with drinking, uh, you should not hang out with, forgive me, uh, people who drink. You should not do that. Uh, if you've had a problem with covetousness, you do well to uh, maintain some distance from people uh, who struggle with covetousness. Uh, lastly, I encourage you to remember God's instruction uh, to put off coveting and to put on God's words in its place. That's Psalms 
119 and verse 36. There the psalmist prays, it's probably David, but we don't know for sure. The psalmist prays, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Put off a wrong focus on things that you do not have, and in place of that, put on a, a new focus, a renewed focus on God's words. You will not be sorry. You will not any longer be discontented. You will find a growing contentment in your life as the Lord ministers to you through his words. And uh, we've reviewed that list twice now, and I hope that you've got that down. I hope you're taking up that instruction from God's words, putting off covetousness, putting on these things, and finding a growing contentment in the Lord as you uh, draw closer to him and find a greater comfort uh, from the words of God as the Spirit of God ministers to you. Uh, one who would be a pastor should not be caught up in covetousness. It will distract him from his ministry. It will distract him from a right focus. It'll do the same to you if you don't get a hold of this and apply the truth of God's word to putting off covetousness. Well, let's move on. Number 16 in our list, a pastor must be one who rules his own house well. Uh, he is one that you should be able to look at and say, uh, he's one who has done well overseeing his home. Uh, he's done well in instructing his family, his children, and so it would be reasonable to conclude that he is one who could come in uh, and have the same success in overseeing and instructing uh, the larger church. Uh, he's had a degree of success in his family uh, and, and that, that family unit in a church. And so there's reason to think that he would be successful in taking the same things and applying them to the larger church assembly. That's just very reasonable. Uh, one, one would not look for a promotion in the workplace until they had done well with the job that they were already in. That just makes sense. You, you would not be, look to be promoted to be a manager or leader, an overseer of an area until you had demonstrated that you were able to, to um, handle well uh, the responsibilities uh, one level below that. And that is not a perfect uh, analogy or illustration, of course, but I think it does help us to get a hold of, of the importance the pastor has to have had a record of ruling his own house well. This verse 4, uh, verse 4 says this, one, He's one that ruleth well his own house, uh, having his children in subjection. That word has the idea of subordination. Uh, he's taught his children the importance of yielding to the authority that God has ordained in the home. Uh, he's taught his children the importance of submitting to, yielding to the authority that God has ordained in the home. And of course, that's parents. Both a mother and a father have God-given authority over their children. Uh, the pastor or one who would be a pastor is one who's understood that and taught that to his children and, and taught it in a gentle way, one that's easy to be entreated, uh, and his children are, as a result of that, in subjection. Uh, if the children are not 
reasonably in subjection, reasonably subordinate to uh, the pastor, and I would, I would add to that his wife, uh, then the family is, the pastor is not uh, yet qualified. Uh, and I understand, listen, I understand, <laughs> uh, no children are perfect. Uh, no children are perfect. But if, if there are children, uh, you should be able to look and see that uh, these children are on their way to becoming godly adults. They've learned to recognize the authority of their parents uh, they're not out of control. They're not perfect, uh, just as the pastor is not perfect, but neither are they out of control. I'll remind you this morning, uh, Psalm 127 and verse 3, children are, inherit, are in heritage of the Lord, uh, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Uh, children are great. They should be a great joy. Raising them is, is not always easy, but they are a blessing, and they should be a joy. It will be a joy to parents when children are, are in subjection. They've learned uh, to be subordinate, to, to recognize the God-given uh, authority of parents. By the way, you understand that training your children uh, to recognize your authority and to yield to it is to train them to recognize uh, all of the authority that God has ordained and to yield to it, and really to recognize the authority of God and to yield to him. Uh, when you train your children to recognize authority, you are training them to recognize the authority of God and to yield to his authority together with the other authorities that God has ordained. That would include pastors. That would include the civil authorities, the police, and so forth. Uh, we have uh, become a society, hopefully not in our church, but uh, our society is one. I've preached about this recently, a whole message on this topic. Our society has increasingly become one that does not recognize godly authority. And so there's, there's so much chaos and disorder uh, in the world today. That training to recognize the authority of God uh, and the authority that God has ordained begins in the home, and when it is not taught in the home, there's chaos in the home, there's chaos in the church, and there's chaos in society. The pastor is one who has taught the critical importance of recognizing God-given authority, and that is evident in his home, uh, and so it is then reasonable to conclude he'll teach the church to recognize God's authority, uh, the authority of the pastor, civil authorities, and so forth, uh, and the church will benefit accordingly. He's one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection. For if a man uh, with all gravity, forgive me, with all gravity, uh, he's not done this in a way that is uh, dishonorable or disrespectful. Gravity has the idea of worthiness of reverence or, or respect. Uh, he's not uh, beat his children, uh, although uh, withholding, uh, withholding of physical correction uh, would be unbiblical. Uh, it would certainly be unbiblical. Corporal punishment is certainly biblical. You understand there's a vast difference between child abuse uh, and corporal punishment. The Lord understands that too. Uh, he's, he's taught his children in a way that is godly and worthy of reverence or respect 
That's important. That's important. Let's go a bit further here. Number 17 in our list, uh, the pastor or one who would be a pastor, uh, he must not be a novice. Uh, the underlying word here is neophytus, or uh, our English word neophyte, uh, a newbie, a, a, a newcomer. Uh, the, that word literally has the idea of a plant that has only recently germinated. A seed has been planted and it's, it's just germinated. It's just stuck its head up out of, uh, out of the ground. It's a newly germinated plant. Uh, there, there's, so the, that's the literal idea of the underlying word. Uh, he's not a man who is a newly germinated Christian, uh, is the idea here. He's not a novice in the faith. He's not a newborn baby uh, believer. Uh, our King James translators gave a marginal translation. He's not one that is newly come to the faith, and certainly that would be a good understanding. He's not a novice, verse 6, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So this is one of two places here that we see that these uh, characteristics, these traits are important because they are going to be important in the course of warding off a spiritual attack from the enemy. Uh, someone who is a novice, according to this verse, and uh, we have insight into this issue here in verse 6, someone who is a novice is at particular risk of falling into a, um, a, a temptation that is fueled by the enemy to become prideful, uh, to become prideful. Now stop and, and think about this for um, a moment. Uh, is it not the case that as young people, uh, we tend to be more prideful? Uh, and I'm not even necessarily thinking about um, uh, a young Christian. Uh, consider a young person just in the world. When we're young, we feel like we, uh, you know, we can do anything. We can accomplish anything. We're young and we're strong and uh, able and nothing will stop us. Uh, when you're a young person in the business world, you feel like, you know, after the third week in your, in your job, you should be promoted to president because you, you're smart and you're able and you're skillful and, uh, and boy, aren't I great. And uh, there, there's a tendency to get prideful at any little success at all. I showed up to work today. Boy, look at me. I turned in my work on time. Aren't I great? Look how wonderful uh, I am. I did my work better than that person over there. Look at me. I'm great. I should be CEO uh, at 21. <laughs> um, I think this is the idea here. Um, there is a tendency as a young person to be prideful at any little success or any little promotion, uh, to allow that success or promotion to fuel your pride rather than to fuel your gratitude to the Lord for enabling that success, for en enabling that promotion. The same thing can happen when you're a new Christian, when you're a novice Christian, a neophyte, a, a Christian that's just poked his head through the, uh, the dirt, the one who's newly germinated, a newborn baby Christian. Uh, there is a tendency uh, to be um, overconfident in self 
and underconfident in your Savior. Uh, there is a tendency as a believer before you've experienced uh, some of the difficulties of being a believer, before the Lord has humbled you in your walk with Christ, there's a tendency to be prideful about your salvation, uh, to be prideful about your accomplishments in ministry. Uh, that's an immature believer who would be prideful about their salvation or their accomplishments in ministry uh, or their promotion uh, from this place of service to that place of service uh, or to the promotion to be the pastor. Um, I'll remind you this morning that the pastor is just a place of service in the church. Yes, God has ordained uh, an authority in the office of pastor, and the pastor rightfully takes up and exercises that authority in a godly, Christ-like manner. But it's, it's just uh, a place of service in the church. I don't mean to minimize it or belittle it in any sense, but, but neither do I want to um, have people view the, 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 the place of service that is the pastorate as something that's um, more valuable or more important to God than any other place of service to, to which he would call you. It's just another place of service that God may call someone to. And yet a novice, a newborn, uh, a, a mature person might be tempted to become very prideful about being called to the place of service that it, uh, involves standing in front of all the other uh, people, lifted up high uh, upon the platform and behind the pulpit. Uh, there is a tendency as a young person or a spiritually immature person uh, to become prideful, to take the credit that belongs to our Savior. Um, and so the, it's important to the Lord that the, the candidate for pastor not be a novice who would be more likely to be lifted up or caught up in pride. He is one that has matured to a point that he understands that he'll accomplish nothing in his ministry, no matter how talented he may be or how experienced he may be, he'll accomplish nothing in his ministry without the power of God working in and through a humble man to accomplish what God chooses to accomplish. Let me say that again. The Lord, let me say it again. We will accomplish nothing in our individual ministries that God does not accomplish through us. We accomplish nothing in our secular work that God does not enable us to accomplish. Uh, boy, do we really need to get a hold of that and be reminded of that. God may have given you great talent, but he gave it. God may have given you great ability, but he gave it. Uh, God may have given you the ability to exercise great talent or great abilities, but he gives that ability. Uh, God may have given you, he has given you a spiritual gift uh, and a place to serve, but he saved you and he gave the spiritual gift and he gave the place to serve uh, and he is the one that gives grace to you uh, to serve him in whatever ministry to which he has called you and whatever is accomplished, yes, is accomplished through me, but by God. And it takes a, a certain maturity 
in our walk in Christ to remember that. Uh, we all do well to remember that, most certainly including the pastor. Let's, let's finish up the list here. We'll finish up the pastor list with number 18 in verse 7, and we're done. We're done. Uh, number 18 on our list, and, and this is the final, the final point on our list, uh, the pastor must have a good reputation outside of the church. See this in verse 7 again. Moreover, he must have a good report of them uh, which are without, outside, outside the church, lest he fall into reproach. This is shame or disgrace uh, and the snare or the trap of the devil. Let me read it again. Moreover, he must have a good report of them or among them which are without, outside the church, lest... He fall into reproach, that's shame or disgrace, and the snare or trap of the devil. So here again, we see the possibility that the devil could enter into the equation uh, and somehow harm uh, the pastor's ministry. Uh, in this case, uh, it's the possibility that the pastor does not have a good reputation outside of the church in the community. Now, this just makes good sense to me as well. Uh, you want a man uh, who at least doesn't have a bad reputation, uh, but more ideally would have a good report or a good re reputation, that is the literal requirement, uh, out in the community. He's someone that, listen, I understand lost people don't understand the things of God. They don't understand the gospel. The, they don't understand the, the Bible, how to be saved. They don't understand those things. But they should nonetheless be able to look at the pastor and say, you know, there is something different about him. There is something different. He's different. Uh, he, he comports himself differently. He acts differently. He's not blowing up at people. He's not unkind to people. He's honest. Uh, he's decent. <coughs> um, he's, he's not a guy that uh, we don't like because he's treating people badly. He's, he's a man who has a decent reputation, a reputation for being decent. They don't understand why that is, uh, but they understand that this is a man of some character. Uh, he's not a snooty, I'm looking down at you, I'm better than you either. They, they can see that. He's a humble man who is a man of character, uh, one who they're not going to look at and say, I don't want what he has. And that's really what it comes back to, right? Uh, there should be an, an integrity in his life that appears to be desirable. Uh, they should not look at him and say, whatever he has, I don't want that. He's no different than us. So whatever he's offering, it's not a solution. Uh, I don't want that. So we see there, there's a practicality to this here. Um, he, uh, the, the verse does does allude to his reputation or bad reputation being a trap that the devil could use. And, and again, I think the idea here is that if he has a bad reputation, uh, that's, that's a snare or a trap uh, in that people may not be willing to listen to him. They may not be willing to listen to him because of his reputation. Uh, and so that becomes a trap or a snare by which men of the world will continue to stay caught up in the things of the world. Uh, the bad reputation of the pastor becomes a snare 
or a trap that keeps lost people trapped in the error, the, the untruth, uh, the lies, and the things of the world, rather than being willing to listen to a man because he seems like a decent man. This would be important for all of us, but most certainly important for the pastor. By the way, all of us are called to uh, interact wisely with the lost. Write down this reference, please. Colossians 4 and verse 5. Here we're commanded, all of us, uh, to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Those who are outside the faith, outside the church, uh, those who do not have Christ, redeeming the time. So we see that we're all called to exercise honesty and integrity in our dealings with the lost so that our behavior does not turn them off to Christ. Boy, what an important list of, of criteria, of qualifications. And what an important list of criteria and, uh, and qualifications that would be good for any of us, all of us, uh, to take up in our lives. Someone saying, Pastor, lady can't be a man. That's true, amen, uh, she cannot. But those things that are not specific to a man certainly apply to all of us. And so I encourage you, having spent, uh, I believe, four messages on this passage to look at this, to know it, to learn it, to know it, to review your notes and say, boy, Lord, uh, I, would, I would just ask you to help me, give me grace to take up these things in my life. If you're a gentleman, uh, you may choose to pray, Lord, give me grace to take up these things in my life. I know that you will be honored and glorified no matter what. But Lord, I also understand that uh, as, as you help me to live according to these words, you might be able, you might desire to call me as a pastor. I understand today you might not have that desire but if God desires that, he will give you the desire. And what a joy it would be to see the Lord call uh, a pastor, perhaps a church planter, uh, out of our church. Uh, Zachary, of course, believes that the Lord would have him to uh, plant churches at some point. And if that is God's plan for his life, God, no doubt, will, will bring that forth. Uh, there may be others. There may be others who God would call uh, to pastor, whether it's here or somewhere else. What a joy it would be to see men called of God uh, to serve either here or in a new church plant, here in this area or perhaps somewhere else. Pastor, are you trying to get rid of us? No, absolutely not. But I do want us all to be yielded to the possibility that God may call us to serve in a place that perhaps we may not have expected uh, or planned. And of course, my vision remains that Long Hill Baptist Church would be a church planting church, a church planting church. That's God's design. And so uh, these, these things are important for many reasons. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you today. I thank you today for, for your words. Thank you today, Lord, for uh, your instruction from these thy words. Lord, I, I pray today that you would help us all to take up these things that are relevant to each of us. Uh, Lord, if there's conviction this morning, uh, help us to be quick to agree with you, to say, Lord, I agree, I confess, I agree. 
Lord, help me to put that off. Lord, help me to submit to you, to know your grace, to put on obedience in its place. Lord, I love you this morning. I thank you. Thank you for each one who has uh, tuned in to listen to the message. I pray you bless them, Lord. I pray you bless them, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd help us uh, to be able to meet together again on Wednesday night and that your people would come, all of your people, Lord, uh, in this church would come out and join together and encourage one another, Lord, because you desire that. You desire that. Father, be with us throughout the day today. Uh, bless each one, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do hope that you'll in, um, join us uh, for our 6 p.m. service in the Song of Solomon. Uh, Lord willing, tonight at 6 p.m.